You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hi, my name is Andrew Mills. Welcome to the Art of Micro Progressions. Tell you a little bit about myself. I've been in the industry for a little over 10 years. I started out selling gym memberships and uh, decided to become a trainer and uh, started out with NASM. And when I thought I was going to be a trainer, I thought, you know, this is pretty easy. So I'm just going to go in. I'm going to get certified. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to start taking care of all these people that I've been selling gym memberships to. And it's going to be a piece of cake. And then I got that textbook, started combing through it and found out right away that there was a heck of a lot more to this training thing. And so since then, I continued my education. Uh, One of my favorite specializations was the CES. I got that one very early on. And uh, that inspired me to uh, follow a track to become a master trainer, which I did in 2015 through the NASM. And then I got my master's degree in exercise science with emphasis on rehabilitation through CalU. And shortly after that, I got my uh, massage therapy license. And then because I'm a glutton, I decided to go back for my doctoral in health science, which I'm about halfway through that program and enjoying that at CalU as well. So one of the things that um, I feel is most important as a trainer is really identifying our clients' needs and where to progress them. As a mentor to fitness professionals, one of the most common questions is, you know, what exercise should we choose? Is it, um, should I be doing squats? Should I be doing lunges? Is a push-up better? You know, how do I make this interesting? How do I challenge them correctly? And we get this conversation revolving around the tools and we get away from the variables that actually drive the results that our clients are after. And so that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about progressions and regressions. So our agenda, we're going to review the kinetic chain checkpoints. This is critical. Most of you are going to be familiar with that from when we discuss assessments. We're going to go over the progression continuum. In other words, what are these progressions and regressions look like? what is easier versus what is going to be substantially more difficult. We're going to talk about identifying critical moments. In other words, when is it appropriate to progress that client or regress them and then making smooth transitions. In other words, how are we going to communicate these progressions and these regressions in a way that keeps them motivated and on track? So we want to start with the kinetic chain checkpoints. We've got head, shoulders, lumbo-pelvic hip complex, knees, and feet. And even though we, we start at the head in our listing, anytime we're doing assessments or setting up for an exercise, we always want to lead from the feet. So 
I know you can't see my feet, but I encourage you to stand up, follow along with me, and I'll be as descriptive as I can. So we want our feet parallel and pointing straight ahead. So if you're looking down at your feet, instead of going by the inside of your foot along the arch, look for the center of your ankle and the line between the second and third toe. And that's what we're trying to make parallel. If you can visualize that invisible line between the front of your ankle and that second and third toe and make that parallel. Some of you may be experiencing that feeling that like you're a little pigeon toed. If you have any uh, muscular imbalances, maybe your gastrox are a little tight, you'll definitely feel that sensation. But that is correct, parallel. Then we want our knees tracking over the second and third toe. So go ahead and bend your knees slightly and then you can bring them in, bring them out, but I want you to settle right over that second and third toe. Then think of your pelvis as a bowl of water, right? So we can dip it forward, we can dip it back, but we don't wanna spill the water. So from a side view, see if I can get in view here. For me, I have my shirt tucked in, so it makes it a little easier to see. But if I dip forward into this, create a low back arch, you can see how the water would spill out the front. If I dip backwards, you can see how it could spill out the back. So a neutral pelvis is what we want to achieve, and that would be level. So the water's not either spilling forward or backward. And as far as the width of our feet, if you feel for the bony prominence right here, the ASIS, we want our feet under those. For some of you, this may feel like a narrow stance, but this is optimal. This is what we're looking for, especially when we do any type of assessment. Then we want our shoulders to be in a neutral position. Many of us have this rounded posture and we want to pull out of that. So we want to roll our shoulders back. We want to squeeze between our shoulder blades and drop our scapulas down into our back pocket. Now that's a fully retracted and depressed position. So let's just ease out of that just a little bit. That should be our neutral. And then as far as our head goes, we want to track our head back as far as we can. So that way our ear is in line over our spine. And then you can relax that just a bit. And that should be a, a strong neutral starting point with all the kinetic chain checkpoints in line. So Rather than go in and review the entire overhead squat assessment, I'm going to use slides that show those compensations because the same compensations we're using uh, or screening for in the overhead squat assessment are the same compensations we're looking for during an exercise. And it's important that we're looking for these, these uh, compensations because any type of compensation in our movement is a sign that that nervous system and that muscular system may be um, challenged beyond what they can stabilize and therefore we may be due for a regression. Or if we don't see those compensations and it's looking too easy, we may need to progress. So let's start by reviewing some of these compensations before we get into the discussion of the progressions and regressions. So from a foot standpoint, one of the common ones is we'll see the arches flatten out. And many times when we see the arches flatten out, we also may see them turn out as well. So Anytime we're doing an exercise, maybe a squat, squat to row, a lunge, and we start to see the feet turn out, that's a compensation we want to avoid. The same goes for the knees moving in. Now, one of the things that can be a little tricky about the knees is we, we want to remember that the knees should be tracking over the second and third toe. 
So if we're doing a squat and the knees are straight in front of the hips, but the feet are turned out, we would still mark that as knees move in. That's still a compensation that we don't want because the knee should be tracking with the foot. And then the last one we might see at the knees is knees move out. We won't see that one as frequent, but it does occur and something we should keep an eye on. As far as correcting these compensations, you can refer to your, uh, your cheat sheets, your overactive, underactive charts that NASM provides you as a way to get a head start on implementing a flexibility protocol to begin correcting some of these. But really, we're just looking at these so we can identify when it's time to progress somebody and when it's time to regress and, and maybe change up our cueing to address some of these. When it comes to the hips, we might see the low back arch. We might see the low back round. We might see excessive forward lean or the arms dropping forward. Anytime we see these types of compensations given in an exercise, um, think like your push-pulls, push-ups, squats. These are things that need to be cued away, brought to the client's attention. Say, hey, can we uh, maybe demonstrate one? So that way I notice, you know, you're arching your back when you go into the squat. I want to make sure you keep your core engaged, do that draw and maneuver. Let's try it again and, and see if we can get away from that. And if they can't, then we may need to progress or regress. Many of the exercises we may do would be on one leg. If you think of a gate, for instance, you might start on two feet from a standing position, but when you go to take your first step, you're on one leg. So it doesn't matter whether you're an athlete who is taking off into a sprint, sprinting, or changing directions, or grandma's in the kitchen and she's turning to put a glass away or throw a spear. I'm sure grandma's throws spears. Um, you know, the idea is we have to be able to transition our weight from two feet to one. Sometimes we'll be in this unstable kind of staggered stance. And since movement works in all of these planes of motions, we have to watch for compensations in these different instances. So using the single leg squat is a great example of some of the foot and knee compensations we may see. So in this first picture here, you can see the, the knees moving inward. If you see knees move inward in the overhead squat, you're very likely to see it in the single leg squat as well. But whenever we think of our OPT model and we're programming for balance or we're programming for uh, plyometrics or step ups or step downs, then this test result is going to be pretty important. We're going to be watching for these types of compensations and trying to cue or progress regress appropriately. We can also see the hip hiking and dropping. And this is another common one that uh, we're going to want to address and maybe a sign that, you know, this exercise is not correct for them in that continuum. And then I'm demonstrating here, you know, most of what I've showed you so far has been due to, you know, exercises with in a closed or open chain, you know, feet on the floor and the lower extremities. When it comes to the upper extremities, think push-ups, presses, rows. Uh, we're going to have these other compensations of shoulders wanting to elevate, head protruding forward, and arching of the low back. So one of the things that we really want to address here is that movement in an exercise standpoint, you know, as trainers, we want to really improve the quality of movement because our body develops habits, right? So 
it's not always about how much effort we put into something or how hard we work or the level of intensity. Sometimes it's a matter of the quality of the work that we're doing is going to determine that outcome. So for instance, if I have an athlete who's coming in to see me and they have to do some squats, maybe they're a power lifter and that's what they're going to be performing. And I notice that they're performing this specific movement. Maybe it's the, the barbell squat. And I notice that their knee is not tracking correctly. And one of the things that we may do in this situation is, well, one thing we could do, which we should try to avoid, would be to alter the stance to make it easier in terms of opening the feet up. But that's actually one way that we could be creating problems by coaching them out of compensation and just moving that compensation somewhere else. So instead, what we want to do is in this athlete's conditioning outside of their performance, we should be building and improving that stability. And one of the ways that we can do that is by selecting variables that's going to address that issue. So the said principle, which stands for the specific adaptation to an imposed demand. So in other words, whatever we practice are the changes in development we're going to get. So if we're practicing faulty movement patterns, let's say we take that same athlete or maybe even an athlete who you know, is a basketball or football player who is running and they have this instance where whenever they cut change directions and their knee dips in and their foot turns out, well, the risk factors for, you know, ACL tears go up dramatically. And so if we're not correcting that out during their squats and their lunges and their gait, then we're reinforcing that pattern. And that's something that they're going to get good at. And when stress levels are high and then it's time to go perform, they're going to do what they've been practicing, which is let that knee go in and the foot turn out. And those risk factors are going to be just as high, if not higher, opposed to building their resistance to that injury by providing them greater degrees of stability through quality training. Whew, that was a mouthful. So when it comes to this general adaptation syndrome, in other words, we have three different phases. We go through alarm reaction. That's how our body reacts to the stress. It's a good thing. And then we have this resistance development. That's where we start to adapt to the, and get the results we're looking for from a workout. And then there's a third phase that we try to avoid called exhaustion. And that's when we're overdoing it. And so we talk about overuse patterns. In other words, if I move how I move out of habit, and let's use the hip flexors, for instance, or the shoulder for rotator cuff. If I'm sitting all day and my hip flexors are shortened and then my shoulders are rounded, making my, my pecs maybe a little tighter, my lat a little tight, then whenever I get up and go to perform, well, those those uh, muscles are carrying that high level of tone and they're going to continue to work out of habit. And so we start increasing overuse injuries as well or overuse patterns by not correcting these things. And so whenever we get somebody as a fitness professional that we can really begin to work with and start cleaning up their quality of movement using these progressions and regressions, one of the things that's going to help us is identify that point when they start to break down and moving into exhaustion and pull them back off that precipice to make sure that they're getting the proper adaptations and they're not just overcompensating with effort and intensity, trying to push through something and then triggering the wrong adaptation. 
So when we understand the acute variables, you know, we have these progression and adaptations. So if we're talking from the point of knee stability, right? If your knee isn't stable when you're standing with two feet straight, then it's probably not going to be stable standing on one leg. Additionally, if your knee is not stable standing on one leg to do a single leg squat, well, then you're probably not going to be stable enough to load your body with weight, let's say a barbell or dumbbells, and do that same single leg squat and expect to be stable. So what we want to do is make sure we have a stepping stone of where we are and where we want to go. And our progressions are going to be the key to that. So when we're talking about the OPT model, and we're talking about we have stabilization and strength and power, these progressions and regressions stay true through the entire continuum. So it doesn't matter which phase they're in, these progressions apply. So let's begin with the progression continuum um, using stabilization. In phase one, we talk about stabilization being a key component. So you often see a lot of things done on one foot, but there's more than just one foot and then two feet. And there's also more than just BOSU work. So when we're talking about progressions, we want to go from easiest to most difficult. And the basic place to start and the most convenient place to start is the floor. The floor is fairly stable. Now, one thing I would like to throw in here is depending on your surface, it may be more or less stable. For instance, carpet might be a, uh, like a thick carpet, may be a little less stable than a concrete floor. Then we would move up to a sport beam, a half foam roller, a foam pad like an Airx pad. I've even had experience with some of those foam pads get pretty thick. Those are very unstable. You can actually find thinner ones that have less thickness to them and are maybe a step between that half foam roller and the thick foam pad. Then we have their balance discs, the wobble boards, and then finally the BOSU. And so you can see if we go straight from floor to BOSU, there's an entire spectrum in between that we're skipping. And I'm sure many of you have been in a position where the floor is too easy, but the BOSU is too difficult, and we're at a loss of what to do in between. So using the continue, instead of just coming up with an entirely new exercise, we can just move along in that next step. So when it comes to lower body in our progression continuum, we're looking at two legs stable. So both feet grounded, not going anywhere. That's the most stable you're going to be. Then we have stagger stance. So instead of having our feet planted next to each other, it's going to stagger a bit. You might recognize this as a stance used in boxing or you even compare it to your lunge. Now, Many times we would look at a lunge as a completely separate exercise. So sometimes I would hear people say, oh, squats I can't do, so let's do lunges instead because they're easier or because they're harder, depending on what they have going on. But technically, a lunge is a staggered stance, yet stable exercise, depending on what they're on. So ideally, stable means the floor. Then we have single leg stable. So you go from two legs, and you can do this with me. Uh, again, I know you can't see my feet, but let's put our feet straight and we're just going to stand in this athletic readiness position here. And if somebody were to come up and give you a little shove, you'd probably be very stable, not going anywhere. If you stagger that stance 
and somebody came up and gave you a little shove, you might be a little less stable, but overall fairly stable. Then as we move to a single leg, think just like the single leg squat test minus the test, just standing here, you may find yourself wobbling, compensating a little bit, trying to maintain control. And so that demonstrates that progression and in instability. Then once you've exhausted that, those three steps, then you can move to an unstable version. So let's go back a slide. If we're looking at the stabilization continuum, I could do my two feet on the floor, then stagger stance on the floor, then single leg on the floor. Then I can move to maybe a sports beam or a half foam roller or a foam pad, depending on where we're at and, and the strides that that client is making. So let's say we go to a sport beam and we're going to have two feet on a sport beam versus a staggered stance on sport beams versus single leg on sports beam. And then start again, this time on a half foam roller. And we just keep progressing. Then we have the upper body continuum. So when it comes to the upper body, we have two arms, right? So think like a press, whether we're talking overhead or like a chest press or even a row. When we're in this instance where we got two arms, that's going to be our most, most um, stable. Then we have alternating arms. So we have to move back and forth here. It's just a little more difficult if you think uh, our, we have competing patterns with our nervous system where we have to control one going forward, the other going back, and then maintain stability of our spine or controlled movement of our spine. And then we also have single arm. So that's where we may have, in a, let's say, a cable press. I'm standing on with my feet straight, hands on my hips, and I'm doing a single press forward. So as that weight wants to twist me back, I have to stabilize that and hold it, making it a little more difficult. And then single arm with trunk rotation. And so now if I'm in phase one, I probably don't want this trunk rotation because it's about preventing movement of the spine. But then as I move into the strength phases, I might want to add in a controlled rotation of the spine, or I may even want to progress in a phase five to an explosive movement of the spine. So bringing up this trunk rotation also highlights another part of the continuum talking about planes of motion. So when we're talking about planes of motion, we've got our sagittal plane front to back. Then we have our frontal plane, which is side to side. And then we have our transverse, which is twisting. And it follows the same thing in the progression going from sagittal, which is typically the easiest, then frontal, then transverse. So if we're looking at the upper body continuum, we've got our two arms, which is our sagittal plane. Then if it's, let's say it's an overhead press, we might have our, our horizontal or our frontal plane. And then whenever we're doing single arms, we have these anti-rotations or with rotation, we're resisting forces in that um, transverse plane. So because movement happens in three planes of motion, it's important that we also train in these different planes of motion. So for instance, if we're doing a, uh, let's call it a, step up to balance. If we're going to do a step up to balance, we're going to be moving through one leg 
and it's going to be a little less stable through that step up. However, if we have arm movement, let's say we've got dumbbells and we do an alternating, right? That's going to be a little more difficult and it's going to challenge our ability to stabilize in the frontal plane. So if I push up, I have to resist forces of leaning to one side or the other. So that's frontal plane. If I'm doing it and let's say I've got a cable and I'm going to come up and do, let's say a PNF pattern with a band resistance or maybe a dumbbell or shoot just body weight, I'm going to have to resist that rotation. So therefore we've got anti-rotations in there. We can do the same thing with cable resistance, uh, band work, put the band around the thighs. Uh, we can do tube walking. So we've got tube walking in the sagittal plane, tube walking in the frontal, and then even tube walking in the transverse. So the idea is we can take one exercise and through these series of progressions, we've got hundreds of variations on a spectrum from easier to more difficult. So an example of a progression here would be like a standing cable row. So you can do a standing cable row where the cables are out in front of you, feet are straight, right? Think of all of our checkpoints. And with our feet straight, knees in line over the second, third toe, we're going to keep an eye on the low back, the shoulders, we don't want them shrugging, the head forward or back, and we're going to do this cable row. Now, as we're doing this cable row, we identify it's a little too easy, so we're going to progress it to an alternating arm movement while we do this row. Then it's still too easy, so we're going to do a single arm version. Then we've mastered this, so we're going to do a single arm with rotation cable row. And that might be standing, and we're going to do our row and then rotate a bit. And again, if we're in phase one, we may, may skip this one and move to the next one instead. But in the strength phases or the power phases, this would be a proper progression. So as you can see, we went from sagittal, then we went to uh, transverse with that anti-rotation. And because we're resisting forces to lean one way or the other, the frontal plane is also a part of it. Then we might move into a stagger stance cable row. So we're going to go through the exact same pattern, but this time we're going to stagger our feet. So as our feet are staggered, then we go back to the standing cable row. Then we have the alternating arms. Then we have the arm with rotation. And then we might go again to single foot, going through the cable row again and go right down the list. And then once we've exhausted that, well, now we can change up what we're doing proprioceptively. What's the floor? So then that's where we may go from that. Um, we may go from the just a floor to a balance beam or maybe even a step above that, depending on the tools that you have. And then you go through the whole continuum again. So when we look at these progressions, you may notice that we started with the floor surface and then we worked all the way about up to planes of motion. But the exact opposite is how we would um, ch make changes. So as you notice in our example, even though we talked about the floor first, that was the last thing we changed. And then we talked about the legs, but that was the second to the last thing we changed. So we always want to um, 
progress in our upper extremities and some of the planar challenges prior to changing our base of support. So then we would go to our feet and then we might adjust the floor. So we wanna make sure we're looking for these critical moments. And in these critical moments, we're really talking about, I'm, I'm working with a client, maybe they're doing a squat to row or a, or a lunge or some exercise, and we start to notice that they're beginning to compensate. Maybe it's their second time around. Maybe we're doing a, a phase one routine and we're, we've got that vertical loading pattern. So they're going from top to bottom. And then the second time around, they're a little more tired. And we start to notice that during their squat to row on the second round, they're starting to push their head forward just a little bit. And in our progressions, one of the things that we've done up to that point is we've got them in a stagger stance squat to row. Not that easy. This client's doing fairly well. So now that they're starting, they're in a staggered stance squat to row on the second round, they're starting to push their head forward through that pull. Something's got to change. We don't want to perpetuate that. That's not the adaptation we want to make. So maybe they're just losing focus because the intensity is higher. So I would say, let's, um, on this next rep, you're starting to push your head forward a little bit. So wh why don't you make sure you, you're holding that chin back and um, everything's, remember your kinetic chain checkpoints. These are conversations I have with my clients all the time. So if I say, you know, your, your head's starting to push forward a little bit, they would know exactly what I mean and begin to correct that. And then... If it goes away, great, we still get more mileage out of this version of this exercise today. But if they're not able to correct it, then it's time to regress. And I might do something as simple as go back to two-legged stable because we're already doing two arms, so we can't regress back from that. So then we're going to regress the feet. Now let's say they're in this same, same scenario. They're in a staggered stance, squat to row, and at the top, they go to pull, but they're crushing it. Then I might say, great, next time you come up, I want you to do single arm. And then when you come back, I want you to do the opposite side. And then they crush that. Maybe we went through the entire set and it was just too easy. And so on, and then they come back through the third time, we're gonna start them off again um, with that one step progressed. Or we might say, this is still too easy, you're crushing it, Instead, what I want you to do is uh, hand me that other cable, and I want you to just come up and do the one side. And then we start to notice they're having a hard time stabilizing. We're getting some hip hiking, or the head's protruding, or they're shrugging a little bit. Then we can say, I notice these compensations. Try and fix it on the next rep. If they can't, they say, all right, I'm going to hand this other cable back to you, and we're going to continue. And so... Framing the conversation around um, these compensations in a way that it, it's not a success or a failure to move forward or backward. It's about identifying where you are in the moment, making sure we have the right exercise to get you the results you want. And it's not good or bad inherently. It's how we really frame it and what we set importance in. For me, the value is in the result, not whether we're doing it two arms or one arms. So we want to provide appropriate cueing first. So as soon as we see the compensation, we want to take a step back and say, hey, maybe they're losing focus. 
maybe they're just not aware as fatigues are setting in, they're just not aware of their own body. And so what we want to do is provide that external feedback, give them a, a cue. And if you haven't established, you know, cues that work, sometimes you have to experiment a little bit. Um, sometimes a cue that works with one person is not going to work with the next. If you've had an opportunity to already demonstrate what you're looking for. So whenever you provide the cue, they know what you're talking about. That's important. Uh, and then being exact in our cues. So if you just say, move your foot back a little bit, they don't know if that's an inch or a foot. So we want to make sure we first provide appropriate cueing. Then if we're seeing persistence and the compensation patterns, then we want to go ahead and um, make a change. So we might say, we might make that change mid-set. Let's say they've got 12 to 20 reps, and based on where this client is in their progression, we're doing 15 to 20 reps, um, which is a lot, but they're only on rep four, and I'm starting to notice some compensate, and they're not able to correct it. Well, then we'll just make that regression and just keep going, finish out the set. If they're already around 12, or they're in that window of 12 to 20, and they're approaching 15, and they're just starting to compensate, we'll just stop the set there, and then the next time we'll uh, make our regression before we begin that exercise. And by next time, I mean within that same workout. So when we're framing the conversation of progressions and regressions with our clients, again, we don't really want to put the value in, are you, you know, doing this progressed version of this exercise or, or are you doing a regressed version because it's not a sign of success or failure. It really comes down to what results are we wanting? Remember, we want to practice movement. We're not just, you know, we, we tend to think of movements as, you know, this is a bicep muscle exercise. I'm doing these curls, but really what we're practicing is elbow flexion, right? And we want to make sure that especially in relationship to the rest of the body, that elbow flexion is being performed properly. Because if we're going to be doing something a bunch of times, we want it to be sustainable, at least to a degree that we're not increasing our risk for injury and we're going to be more resistant to the external forces we place on our body. So whenever we're doing squatting, it's about triple flexion to triple extension, right? Triple flexion being the flexion of the hip, flexion of the knee, flexion of the ankle, then or, or dorsiflexion to be more clear and then whenever we go into triple extension it's the extension of the hip so we're engaging that glute extension of the knee so the quads engaged and extension of the ankle or in this case we're talking about plantar flexion so when we walk when we run when we jump we're really looking for these triple flexion triple extension patterns we will also look for parallel lines we want that equal joint distribution of weight you know if you're squatting, we want our weight evenly distributed amongst all of our joints. That way, one isn't being overloaded and reducing performance. So to have this conversation is really more about um, we want to work you. We want to get the results that you're after. And it's not about whether you're progressing or regressing, but it's about are we getting this, the right stimulus to change you in the direction you want to be changed? And... There are days where people are just not going to have the energy that they may have another day. There are so many factors from mood, um, psychological state, physiological state, how are their nutrition habits, sleep patterns, um, 
humidity levels in the air, it's all going to impact performance. And we, you know, we can get way too caught up into the exercise itself as a sign of um, success or failure. And we really want to look at it as the conditions are always going to be changing and we want to meet our clients where they are, regardless of those conditions. So if we're working at a home gym, it's a hot day, it's a little more humid, they're not going to perform at the same level on a cool day with lower humidity. If they had a late night, they didn't sleep as well. They're not going to be recovered. They may not be as mentally focused. They may not perform as well as they did at another time when they had a good nutritious meal, well hydrated and a good night's rest. So whether we're talking about, uh, you know, a senior, we're talking about a teenager, uh, an adult, or male, female, doesn't matter. We're all subject to these conditions around us and we wanna make sure we're meeting our clients where they are. And that's the conversations we need to be having. But we can still use motivational language. So if I have a client that's completed a set of standing cable rows with perfect form and the second look, set's looking good, to say, you're crushing it. I remember two weeks ago when you couldn't do this progression, this is a sign of progress. But it also puts ownership on them because if they weren't to some extent getting a good night's rest, paying attention to some of their nutrition and how they're recovering and staying focused on their workouts, they would never have been able to make that progression. So still give them that motivating speech, say you're crushing it. Just remember, if you come back next week and you don't, it's not because you're suddenly losing progress, but the conditions were just different. Today, you had great conditions. You took ownership of the things that affect those conditions and you're kicking butt. Now, at the other time, or, or when we see this, you know, it's time to progress you. Sometimes you might go into that progression and you go, ooh, you know, for these first two rounds of this workout, you crushed it. On this third one, you're not. We progressed you. The progression was too much. Rather than say, well, apparently you weren't ready for a progression, we can say, next time, let's start off with this progression, or maybe at the second set instead of the third set, and, and see if you take to it a little bit better, because you might just be tired now. Those conditions have changed. And every progression is going to be harder. Sometimes we can take larger steps in that progression, and sometimes they have to be very teeny tiny. I work with a lot of special populations. In other words, they have medical conditions. And due to those medical conditions, sometimes we have to get very creative and actually find progressions in between the existing progressions. I mentioned earlier about the foam pad. I have two-inch Airx pads that I use, but for some of my clients, that's far too big of a step. So what we ended up doing was finding same pads, but thinner. So they were less unstable. And then we even have a mixture of gymnastic pads, like what you might see in a tumbling floor. Some are soft. So you have like the memory foam of an Airx pad, but then you might have just the cushion of a padded floor versus a yoga mat. And so we have all of these micro progressions within our micro progressions that we can get creative and explore when the need arises. So making smooth transitions is important because you definitely don't want to lose your momentum and you definitely don't want to um, impede mood or create any kind of negativity surrounding any kind of regression. 
we don't want that emotional roller coaster as part of our workouts. They're hard enough as they are. We don't need to add anxiety to them as well. So we want to keep them motivated. We want to celebrate progress. Celebrating progress is critical because it's what keeps them going, makes them want to push through that next that next obstacle, and just reinforce that regressions are not failures. We want to use verbal and body language as it matters. So if our face or our heads are shaking our head and, you know, we've got a sour look on our face, but we're saying good things, that's not going to quite land as well as we might hope. And then we want to counsel if regressions become a trend. So let's say I'm working with an individual who for a period of time, they were making consistent progressions. And then I noticed that as we're working through these progressions, there are some days where they just, maybe they were a little more tired, they didn't drink enough water, whatever the case may have been, they ended up regressing a little bit. Not a big deal. We, as we talked about, you have days that are easier and days that, that are going to be more difficult. And so as a professional, I keep notes, right? So whether we're talking about for liability reasons or just um, to serve our clients best so that way we can track their progress because if we're not measuring that progress and recording it, then it's hard to verify later that progress actually occurred. So let's say I notice that this person is regressing um, consistently and where maybe before they were doing the squat to row with an alternating arms of stagger stance, but now we had to go back to two legs stable uh, without alternating arms just for them to do it without compensation then counseling may be necessary because if it becomes a trend, that means there's some habit of theirs or some external force in their life that's preventing their ability to recover, diminishing focus, and challenging them in ways that need to be addressed. Sometimes that may mean referring out. So we have our circle of care with our allied health professionals, whether we're talking about massage therapists or physicians, chiropractors, physical therapists, RDs, the goal here is we want to make sure that whatever is occurring in their life that's leading to this chain of regressions is being addressed. Sometimes it's just as simple as they're having a stressful life event. I have one example. It's one of my favorites, uh, and it goes back to why it's so important to take notes, is whenever I had a – she was a school teacher, and she was doing very well. And it seemed like at the beginning of the week, she would progress all the way up through about – Thursday. And then it would be like, she's starting over again. And when I say starting over again, I'm really talking about, we had to regress back to where she was on Monday and we lost whatever chain of progressions we had. And that became a reoccurring thing. And then we sat down and we talked and thought, what, what's changed in her routine that might create some kind of problem? Maybe we're just pushing her too hard and she's not recovering. Maybe She's not getting enough sleep. What's going on? And we found out after analyzing the data and looking at her notes that it always coincided with the night that she would have a couple glasses of wine while she graded papers. And so the, sometimes these little subtle changes can have dramatic impacts on our ability to perform. And so if I wasn't taking notes and we weren't using a progression continuum, we may not have caught those subtle changes. If we were always doing just the easy version or the hard version, we may not have seen those subtle dips in performance. And then we also want to um, engage with our clients. And, and when I say engage with our clients, um, 
you know, be human, recognize that um, they've got things going on in their life that's going to impact their performance. And these are things that can't be ignored and pushed through. Um, so that if that means that you have to totally replan what you're doing that day, uh, we might need to do that. I'm sure many of you have experienced a time where you spent hours. I know I did. I was a brand new trainer and I was going to write the perfect program. And I was so excited. I had my first client and I did the assessments, wrote the program. I spent hours on it. It was perfect. And then I came in and lo and behold, they're limping through the front door. And I'm like, what happened? And they're like, oh, I was, you know, skiing with my friends over the weekend. And, you know, I twisted my ankle. It's like, of course you did. So then you, you take that workout and you throw it out the door and you got to come up with something new. Now, in that situation, we want to make sure that, you know, of course, you know, there's nothing serious going on with the ankle. Uh, we may need physician clearance, et cetera, to make sure it's safe for them to train. But when they do come back, they may not be at the level where you first assess them. So you would want to reassess them and then do a, a new workout. Then let's say in the recovery of that ankle, they're going to have days that they're more stable than other days. So if you plan to do squats, but they're lacking, um, or, or let me pick a different exercise. Let, let's say they're doing step up to balance, right? And you're doing step ups with an alternating press. So as they're doing those step ups, you start to see that they're not progressing well. You don't have to come up with a whole different exercise. Just say, let's do it with just two arms or let's take arms out of the equation and just do the step up. And with these little regressions, you might find exactly where that ankle is able to work today. And then you want to stick to that. So when I do programming, I like to program with the core exercise, the core exercise being, you know, if it's legs or it might be squats. My programs may look very, very boring because on the surface it says, you know, bench press, um, you know, cable row, etc. You know, all of these traditional exercises. But whenever I have the client in front of me, we may start off with that bench press. And I'm saying, you're looking great today. I want you to go ahead and start alternating your arms through this press. And as they begin alternating that arms, now I say, you know what? You, you rocked it so much on this next round. We're just going to do one arm. And so engaging with our clients being part of that, that's where we really build value. And I guarantee you, this is something that lacks uh, this, uh, this level of understanding. So if you can wrap your mind around progressions and regressions, you're going to bring your training to a whole nother level and you're going to build value for your clients that is just incomparable. So a couple things before I wrap up the summary or wrap up and, and summarize our workshop, one of the things that I really want to address is that when we're talking about base of support, we have to put it in context. So this, this continuum is a very good guideline. However, there's going to be situations where we're going to have to make adaptations. For instance, when we're talking about two legs straight and stable, that may be different for a chest press compared to a row. So we have to consider the direction of force. So in the instance of a chest press, a cable press, and I'm standing, I'm going to be less stable with two feet. If I go to push, I've got nothing to support me and keep me from falling back. So instead, I'll stagger my stance 
So I'm more stable. So in that instance, a staggered stance is actually more stable than just um, side-by-side stance. So we have to kind of think critically sometimes of how does this continuum need to be adapted for the direction of force or maybe certain uh, constraints a client may have that's medical or otherwise. The other thing we want to consider too is whenever we're working through progressions and regressions, we can stretch these progressions and regressions over weeks. We could stretch them over a workout or in a single set. You, you really just, it, it's an art form. That's why I call it the art of microprogressions. And it really takes this, um, you know, if you're struggling with assessments right now where you have to see the overhead squat assessment several times before you're picking up all the compensations, then progression regression is going to be very challenging. So as you get better at your assessments, you're going to get better at identifying when it's time to progress and regress. And then in addition to that, as you get more comfortable with progression regression, then it's going to be even easier for you to identify those compensations during your assessments. So it's, it comes full circle. The other thing that's really important is whenever you're um, progressing and regressing, progressions and regressions is about shifting along that continuum, that neural continuum, uh, which we're coming to call it, of you know adapting the upper body, then adapting the lower body, then changing our surface that we're working on, and as well as addressing which plane of motion. As we're going through that context, at no point are we actually coaching out of compensation. In other words, if we see somebody doing a squat, their feet are straight, their knees are tracking over their second, third toe, but then three or four reps in, we start to see that knee come in. We don't want to just say, open those feet up so the knees don't come in anymore. That's what that's called coaching out of compensation. And all we're doing is moving that compensation somewhere else up the chain. And we're not actually serving that client. If anything, we're just practicing a, an altered pattern. And remember, we're going to be adapting them through what they do. And if we're practicing faulty movement, then they're going to do faulty movement. So let the assessments guide you, right? So if you're skipping the assessment phase, you're going to get blindsided by these uh, compensations as you pick your exercises. So you do your assessments, you might do your overhead squat assessments, you're going to do your single leg squat assessments, and your push-pull assessments. And as you see these things, if they had a back arch and a push-pull, then you know whenever you program a push-pull exercise, there's potential for that. And you can be stepping into that situation ready to address whatever may come up. You might say, you know what, I'm concerned, even though we did went through our flexibility protocol, you know, we've, we uh, inhibited and stretched those lats and the traps and all the things that were overactive on our list. And then we went through the core training and we did our prone cobras and our core activations and we think everything's fine. When they get to that pull exercise or that push exercise, it's still a potential. You can start regressed and progress because I would much rather put my client in a position, especially if they're new and we haven't had the framework conversations and build that rapport yet. I would much rather say start or start out with the most easiest version as stable as you can make it, um, you know, sagittal plane, two arms, et cetera, and then progress from there opposed to trying to get crazy and then have to regress because nothing's worse than, okay, we're going to change this this way. We're going to change it again. 
You're still struggling. We're going to change it again. And it goes back to the words we use, right? So we don't want to say, I don't even use the word regress progress with my clients. I'll just say, you're doing great. I want you to just change it up this way. You know, we're going to move from alternating or two arms to alternating arms on your next rep or on your next set, or maybe next week we'll try this out instead of saying, we're going to progress you. Now we have to regress you. If I have to regress somebody and they're doing alternating, you're doing great. Um, I might even point out the compensation because I want to give that opportunity to cue them. So maybe I see them kind of tilting to one side or shrugging a shoulder. I'll point it out that they're doing that. If they can't do it, no problem. Just go ahead and do two arms at a time on your next, starting your next rep. If that fixes it, great. If not, we may end the set or uh, change the stance if that's an option at that time. So you don't even have to use the words progression and regression if you think that may affect your client negatively. And then you always just progress through the continuum, starting at the easiest, working your way to the most difficult, and be fluid. I've had people improve. We, we let's say they came in, they they weren't doing very well, you know, at home. Maybe they had stress, fighting with a spouse, arguing with their kids, whatever. They come in, they're unfocused. That first set may have had to be in regress from what they usually do. As they get into the workout, they become slightly more focused, and you know. Some of the stress is now out, not in the, at the forefront of their mind, and now it's time to progress them. So the second round of these exercises, they're progressed. Maybe they've progressed substantially, but then by the third one, they're fatigued, so then we bring them back again. And so just constantly being fluid and adaptable as a professional, and don't get too caught up on what exercise you choose as much as how we progress and regress. And it doesn't matter what phase we're in, whether we're talking phase one or phase three, hypertrophy, or five, the continuum holds true. Now, if we're doing max strength training, you're probably not going to have the same intensity of, you know, the single arm. You're probably not going to be doing single arm overhead presses if you're trying to max out your weight. You'll get a one rep press for a single arm, but not a, a true one rep press. So if you're using your, your two arm to kind of guide your one arm, you're going to see it doesn't quite translate, but the continuum still holds true. It's just, of course, we have to be mindful just because we can make something unstable in the continuum. If they're picking up, you know, their three rep max or their one rep max, it's probably not a time to uh, make something unstable just for their safety. And so we're always just meeting people where they are. We want to make sure we're driving those adaptations. And then we want to just remember that we're stimulating, not annihilating. So this isn't, this isn't about intensity. It's not about changing the weight. I know many times we'd be in an exercise that looks too easy, add more weight, still too easy, add more weight, and then they can't do it. And that's because there's a lot of variables in this continuum, not just weight and tempo so and uh, rep scheme. So we want to stimulate, not annihilate. So whenever we find that weight that's just dialed in and we got that rep range dialed in, focus on these progressions and regressions, these other ones like what surface our lower leg our lower limb continuum, our upper body continuum, and look at our um, look at our planes of motion as well. So, just think what what's the changes we want, rather than get caught up on is this muscle working or is that muscle working. Focus on the actual movement through that joint, whichever joint that may be. It could be the hips and knees and ankles in a squat. It could be the shoulder, elbow, wrist in a press. 
We just want to make sure that that movement is in line with the kinetic chain checkpoints, all working together without compensation. And if we've got that, we're winning. And if we don't have that, then we need to figure out what change needs to occur along this continuum to get that back. I really want to thank everybody for joining me. Uh, this is a subject I'm passionate about and we could spend hours discussing, but play with this. You can do this on your own. You can do this with your friends. You can continue implementing it with your clients. Don't be afraid to tell your clients, hey, I learned something new this week and I want to start implementing it in our sessions. Just bear with me if you know it seems a little wishy-washy because ultimately it's for not just my betterment, but for your results as well. And don't be afraid to continue that relationship and let them know that you're growing alongside them. I think they'll appreciate that. Of all the videos that you could have or lectures or workshops you could have attended for Optima this year. Thank you for choosing mine, and I hope you all have a great week. If you have any questions uh, beyond this and you want to reach out to me, uh, it's andrew.mills at uh, nasm.org. So andrew.mills at nasm.org, or there's my company email, andrew at achievewellness-stl.com, and I'd be happy to respond with make anything more clear, uh, dive in a little further with you or just answer any questions you might have. Have a great week.